Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Thursday evening where we are set to explore another special topic. Again, each and every Thursday is an evening that is devoted to responding to your questions. And uh, this evening is a little unique because I received a question that is pretty close to another question I received, but different enough or dissimilar enough that I thought we could devote another evening to it. And the question is this. What are the things we should be thinking about in our catechesis? What struck me about this question is that I had received a question some time ago on what should we be thinking about when we deliver a talk. Now, on that evening, uh, June 1st, 2017, Debbie Rosales joined me, and I listened to the whole program. And uh, I dare say it was a good program, thanks to Debbie Rosales. And if I can encourage you, uh, go there to my website, joholcraft.org, click the link, listen shows, and go to the special topic category and go down to June 1st, 2017, and listen to that program because this evening really is a part two to that program. So here we are 15 months later <laughs> talking about something that is pretty close to it because in some of the subject matter we talked about on June 1st, 2017, I will touch upon this evening. But what might be a little different is my emphasis on the various principles of the new evangelization for catechesis. I'm going to be drawing from my book, A Heart for Evangelizing. I've written a chapter and I titled it, Initiating Our Catechesis with Enthusiasm and Joy. All right, so with that, maybe I can start with with the story I start with here in the book. In the summer of 1995, on one particular occasion, I traveled from one side of the state of California to the other to attend what would be, for me, really a life-changing event. A friend assured me that I would get some of my questions uh, on the Eucharist answered. Admittedly, then, I was struggling with my faith as a cradle Catholic, in particular with all the subject matter related to the Eucharist. And as I arrived in Southern California on that particular Friday evening, I was unable to attend the talks the first night, but I made a point to attend every talk from Saturday morning to Sunday afternoon. And my dear friends, over the course of those 36 hours, I absorbed every syllable as indeed my many questions were getting answered. While the topics of the speakers had my full attention, it was more so <laughs> the life-giving spirit with which they spoke that really captivated me, that really had my attention. For the first time, I had come into contact with speakers who were genuinely excited about their faith and who were in love with Jesus Christ, right? And they were Catholic. <laughs> this took me by, by surprise. Certainly, I had heard a number of Protestant Christian speakers who lectured with a sense of authority. But the genuine passion of these Catholic speakers, and indeed the authority they also spoke with, left me pining for more. Even 
I dare say, without an explicit summons. I knew that I was being invited to go deeper into my faith. It could be said that I was being evangelized by the spirit of truth. And as I listened, I opened up more to what the Catechism of the Catholic Church was teaching and other authoritative documents of the church and what they had to say on the Eucharist. In the end, my friends, I was being drawn by the genuine enthusiasm of the speakers uh, and their witness of love for the faith. And this really was, my friends, the first time I came into contact with the deeper meaning of enthusiasm. Uh, the word enthusiasm comes from the Greek entheos, which literally translates as that which bears a God within, as Cardinal uh, Jorge Maria Bergoglio noted in his letter to, to catechists, of course, Pope Francis, in the Archdiocese of Buenos Aires, he said, enthusiasm is to be led by a divine inspiration that makes use of our person to manifest itself. It also applies the uplifting of the mind to something that inspires, again, let me emphasize that word, inspires interest, joy, admiration, provoked by a strong interior motivation. Consequently, my friends, could we not say that with a deep sense of piety, our initial proclamation of the faith in our teaching circles needs to be infused with what but enthusiasm. And not a quasi-enthusiasm, but a fully immersed enthusiasm, a fully immersed catechetical zeal that surges from the hope that is within each and every one of us that all might come to know the beauty of the faith. And so as you ask the question, what do I need to be thinking about in my catechesis? Well, my friends, a genuine catechetical zeal. Too many catechetical programs have lost their sense of effusiveness and enthusiasm for the doctrine being taught. And this we need to be attentive to. I have heard it said, you know, just show me a good curriculum and I will show you a good teacher. Unfortunately, this mindset <laughs> that the curriculum itself is the teacher is prevalent in far too many religious education programs today. It doesn't get to the heart of what we're talking about right now. This approach misses the important truth that a teacher who loves what he or she is teaching is needed. In other words, the letter can never replace the person, okay? The lesson can never replace the person. We remember the teachers who taught their subject matter because of what they taught? No, but because how they taught it, with energy, with passion. The teachers we remember had an impact upon us because of their deep commitment to the discipline they taught, not necessarily what they taught, but again, how they taught it. Genuine love for what you teach is vital for any teacher, is vital for any catechist. Because as Catholics, the doctrine being transmitted must lead what? To whom? But the person of Jesus Christ. You know, teaching with enthusiasm was very important to John Paul II. In his address in Haiti, the Holy Father taught that the new evangelization is new in its ardor, methods, and expression. So therefore, John Paul II identified really just not the key principles to the new evangelization, 
but really the key principles to any good catechesis. What do I mean? Well, the Latin word for ardor is what, but ardire. Ardire translates as burn or ablaze. Through baptism, we live in the family life of the Holy Trinity, and from that relationship, we communicate the fire that is the love of God. We abide and dwell in the warmth and presence of God, and then we communicate that warmth, that fire. We often tie the term ardor to a zeal or fervor that comes from our passion for God. Huh? One can draw a direct line from what enthusiasm means in its truest sense to what ardor means in its truest sense. An outward passion for God that draws its strength from an interior transformation in God. As St. John Paul II reminded us, our initial proclamation will be most effective when it proclaims from the rooftops when it has first lived in intimacy with God, essentially what inspires saintly fervor for God. So again, applying this to our catechesis, this ardor is salt for our catechesis. Did not Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 call us to be salt for the earth? We do so with the understanding that salt possesses kindling properties, right? During Christ's time, it was not wood that was used as fuel for the fire in the clay ovens, but fascinatingly so, camel manure. Camel manure mixed with salt. So a salt slab was placed within the fire, which would cause the manure to burn. Essentially, my friends, salt was an agent setting ablaze what it touched. So when we talk about being salt in our catechesis, what we are talking about then? Setting ablaze all that we do in our pedagogy for Christ and his church. What about methods? John Ball II established these three principles of ardor, methods, and expression. What about methods? Well, in regards to methods, John Paul II speaks to the manner in which the body of Christ shares in the mission of the church by not only teaching according to each member's talent, but first and foremost, by actually sharing in the teaching ministry of Jesus Christ himself. Jesus is the method of our methodology. Uh, the Greek rendering of the word methodology translates as the study of a way. <laughs> Is not Jesus the way, the truth, and the life? He's not a way, but the way. The way of all that we transmit. What does all this mean for us in our catechesis? Well, first, as teachers and the one teacher, we are to carry within us the presence of God and be attentive to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Second, we should consider the teaching methods that Christ himself employed. And here I'm thinking of the frequency with which Christ asks questions, a topic I think we have talked about here a great deal. Why? Because questions simultaneously provoke and encourage the more personal encounter. Christ asks 183 questions, which doesn't include the over 300 questions he asked in response to being asked a question. Why? But to encourage a more personal encounter. I mean, consider the famous parable of the two sons. 
Most people read this parable and reflect only on the important importance of appearance and reality, what we say and, and what we do. But it is important to consider that Christ opened the parable with the question, what do you think? You see, our Lord begins this parable with a question to get his audience to think more critically about the lessons behind the parables. And in this case, of course, the parable of the two sons. Catechesis is to literally echo or resound. The word catechesis comes from the Greek katekeo. That is the Greek we see in Luke chapter 1 verse 4. When Luke is quote-unquote informing those around him. Informing. To inform is to catechize or to echo or resound the first teachings of Jesus Christ. In our catechesis, what are we to do? but to echo, resound what Jesus did. And this is why asking questions should be on the forefront of, of how we catechize. All right, so third, the methodology we employ must constantly ask the question, how does the doctrine we are teaching, whether on creation, the incarnation, the angels, or, or so on, assimilate the here into the mystery of, of Christ and that all-encompassing principle of relationship. So the methodology we employ should always be asking the question alongside the question, what do you think? How does what I'm teaching assimilate the hearer into the mystery of Christ and that all-important principle of relationship? Lastly, again, we should use the gifts that God entrusted us with and seek to use these gifts to advance the kingdom of God. Once we understand the importance of both our fervor of faith and Christ as the method, we can then turn to see the obligation to express this gift in a fresh and dynamic way. We are to ignite the interest and imagination of people with whatever mediums are available to us. So we have ardor, we have methods, and we have expression. It is necessary to seek creative ways to reach an ever-changing population and to communicate the faith in an intelligible manner and with language that is comprehensible to our audience. Once again, we can draw from the example of Christ who told stories and, and used images to transmit the wonders and beauty of truth itself. We read in the papal document, Joy of the Gospel, we need to be realistic and not assume that our audience understands the full background to what we are saying. That being said, again, <laughs> our methods and expression of catechesis ought to display genuine ardor that is actuated in union with the Holy Spirit and animated by Him. Uh, John Paul II reminded us to put the Holy Spirit first in our catechesis because the Holy Spirit is the source of our authority. This we can never get away from, my friends, in any kind of reflection on what we need to be thinking about in how we catechize. It is by the power of the Holy Spirit that our catechesis turns hearts to a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. Once again, enthusiasm and ardor are the means by which the catechist inspires others to go deeper in their faith. This is what was going on in that encounter I had at that conference on, uh, on the Eucharist, right? I encountered some good subject matter, yes, 
But what I first encountered were men and women who were in love with what they were teaching. You know, someone who is either falling in love or is deeply in love <laughs> communicates what? Exhilaration and excitement when talking about their beloved. Such excitement emerges really as an existential witness to the love they have for their beloved. So no matter what doctrine we are teaching, our falling in love, if you will, with God is what shines through and ultimately encourages others to do the same. In crossing the threshold of hope, St. John Paul II reminded us that one's initial proclamation must also be rooted in the contemplation of the truth that is being taught, which ultimately yields the necessary interior enthusiasm that nobody and nothing can quench. So from this contemplation and truth, from this contemplation and truth in the Holy Spirit, our catechesis will do what but glow with fervor. Uh, Pope Paul VI, in his document, Evangelization of the Modern World, speaks to this call we have to glow with fervor and bring to life our initial proclamation of Jesus Christ with the Holy Spirit, which will ultimately bring to life our catechesis. Essentially, my friends, without the contemplation of the holy face of Jesus, our catechesis would be utterly insufficient. And here we are to see that enthusiasm is first an interior grace. I talk about contemplation. What am I talking about? But the interior life, right? So we have to be sure then that our catechesis is rooted in an authentic meditative prayer. Debbie and I were talking about this on June 1st, uh, 2017. That if we fail in our life of prayer, we will fail in our catechesis. Eventually, our sense of boldness, our sense of enthusiasm will what but dissipate. And I think we will no longer be sure what we are handing on, convincing nobody, my friends, of the truth of the gospel message. We have to prevent ourselves from focusing so much on our catechetical presentations, outlinings, handouts, PowerPoint presentations, and so on, that we have little time left to spend time with God. Spend time with God where we are seeking the wisdom of God. That wisdom that would enliven what to say and how to say it. Am I saying that we don't need to be concerned about our catechetical presentations, our PowerPoint presentations, and so on? No, I'm not saying that at all. In fact, those are important. But without that interior grace, without that sense of what you are talking about is enlivened by the Holy Spirit, who you are talking about is enlivened by the Holy Spirit, well, <laughs> then the who will never come to pass. It will just be the what. And if the what is what we're concerned about, then we are missing our catechesis. So we have to be sure that we are setting our entire catechetical approach in the light of what the Holy Spirit desires and inspires in our prayer. What's more, my friends, our interior enthusiasm and glow with fervor inspires joy. This spiritual gift of joy, which is inseparable from that initial proclamation of the gospel itself. What do we read in that opening salutation? from the angel Gabriel to Mary, Hail, full of grace, 
The Greek for rejoice is kare. For Benedict XVI, this rejoicing marks the true beginning of the New Testament and appears as the true gift of the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Redeemer. Why? Because it is the joy of the gospel. Joy is more than being in a good mood or something that is exclusively external. No, my friends. For Benedict XVI, joy itself is the first proclamation of the New Testament because from it arises that interior conviction of the Father's love for us. And this is quintessential in our catechesis. Moreover, joy is intimately connected with the initial proclamation of the gospel and is the true gift of the Holy Spirit, a gift we can see as foundational to all of our preaching and teaching of the Catholic faith. There's no wonder that joy links in seamless unity the Annunciation in Christmas Day. You know, in the scene of the Adoration of the Magi, we read from the Gospel of Matthew that the three wise men rejoiced with joy that is great indeed. The Greek construction of this passage conveys an active elation of joy. What do I mean? The biblical theologian Maricacus notes, the Greek, usually so economical, uses 11 syllables to convey to us this interior state of mind suffused with the highest joy. Such rejoicing is almost exhaustive. So what we learn when the Magi meet the Christ child is quite simple. When we truly discover truth incarnate, the Holy Spirit will naturally burst forth in what but joy, and at the same time, invite people to go deeper in their faith. John Paul II describes the announcement of the gospel message as the initial ardent proclamation by which a person is one day overwhelmed and brought to the decision to entrust himself to Jesus Christ by faith. There you have the link between evangelization and catechesis. Brothers and sisters in Christ, authentic joy is not passive, but active. The initial gospel proclamation, in the end that is life-giving, always ought to have as its source an enthusiastic joy, that which is transformative. Back in college, a Dominican professor of mine once correlated sap with grace. You've probably heard me talk about this before, where he said, you know, the gifts we receive at baptism are like sap. You see, grace itself is like a sticky substance. In other words, what he was saying there, my friends, grace unmerited sticks to our soul. Sap contains within it nutrients. Sap contains within it water, even hormones. Sap then carries within it all of those life-giving properties and at once the identity of its source, the tree, huh? Could we not say even more so that grace carries within its substance all of the life-giving properties and the identity of its source, God's love? The grace that envelops us in the life of the church is the very life-giving substance that is the love of God. We could go so far as to say, through grace, we receive God's spiritual DNA. <laughs> 
why do I reflect upon this as it relates to our catechesis? Because it's not only what we should be thinking about as one who is handing on life-giving doctrine, but also what is quintessential to what we hand on. As I place this emphasis on the who over the what, I'm not saying the what is unimportant. It's very important, but very important in the light of the who. And so here I might go so far as to say we should be catechizing, teaching on the importance of grace and what grace is. That sanctifying grace we receive at baptism, those gifts from God of faith, hope, and love, which truly make us holy like God, which truly allow us to share in his very life and his actual grace, the gift from God that helps us to become like God in specific circumstances in our life. As all grace, it is the free and undeserved help that God gives us to respond fully to his call. And my friends, as we teach on the various aspects of Jesus Christ, the various aspects of the Paschal Mystery, should we not always be thinking about the grace that is quintessential to this activity, God's sanctifying grace and God's actual grace? When we think about catechesis, and here this evening I am talking about what is foundational for the catechist, we are to draw the nutrients of grace from constant prayer and from the sacrament so that we might bear its fruit, joy. The Greek word for joy is korea, right? This term is derived from the same Greek root as the word grace, charis. Joy is the fragrance of God's very substance of grace. In light of what I was just speaking to as it relates to enthusiasm, the entheos, huh? We are made to see that enthusiastic joy is the sweet fragrance of God bursting forth in our catechesis. Amen? Amen. All right, let us close with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Good and gracious God, we just give you special thanks and praise for the gift of this evening, the gift to be able to reflect into, again, the richness and beauty of your word. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.